I'm Susie Anetta, Editor-in-Chief of Design Anthology. On today's episode of the podcast, I'm sitting with Catherine Shaw, respected design journalist in our office in Hong Kong. So we first met actually before I started Design Anthology. Um, yes. I don't actually remember how we first met, though. I do. <laughs> you have to I, remind me. <laughs> Joyce Wang, um, the Hong Kong architect, had an event at her studio in just off St. Francis Lane. And I had been invited to that because I'd seen her newest design at Amo. It was her first design back in Hong Kong. And she was... Having, she was launching her rare pink yes. marble yes, collection. Yes, I remember now. And I was there, and she said to me, you have to meet Susie. So I was like, okay. <laughs> and then she introduced us. Right. And then you said, um, I'll get in touch with you and talk to you about something, and um, you did. That was very early on. That I was super early. Don't on. even remember if we had launched the magazine at that no, stage, or if we were still in yeah the lead up. And you, you gave me some wonderful advice, and and I'm hoping that we can pick your brains again today. With pleasure. And get a little bit more advice for uh, the designers that we hope are listening. So, I thought perhaps we could have a bit of a chat about uh, how you work within the industry or your role within the industry and how you pitch stories to editors, um, how, I guess, that instinct of knowing what each editor might be looking for and perhaps then kind of looking in the other direction and and kind of perhaps relaying that back to the design world and, and giving them some tips and some advice because you and I sit here and have these conversations and... Um, and kind of lament the fact that, that a lot of designers don't really have an understanding of the media and the landscape and how it works and how they can best work with it. So maybe that's where we'll start. How do you, how do you work with editors and, you know, kind of what sort of stories do you instinctively know that they're looking for and how do you, how do you go about pitching them to the editors? Okay, the first rule is that I do not write for editors who work for magazines that I don't read. Okay, that's a very basic rule. You shouldn't be writing for a publication if you don't want to read it or have it in your own home. So that is very important because then I know what the style and the personality of that magazine is. So I don't waste time pitching a story to a magazine that's not going to be interested. You've also got to know what has gone on in, say, the last year in that magazine. Because nothing screams ignorance as much as pitching a story that is in the current issue or in an issue three months ago. You just think, well, did you not read the magazine? Right? So I think it's very important to know the editor and you have to know what they like. Because it's not about you and your great story. It's about you, your great story, and your editor. 
and it's got to work for everyone. So that's what I do. I don't write about things I don't like, and I don't write for magazines that I don't like. <laughs> so that's it. Well, I think that advice is just as useful to other writers as well as um, PR firms, actually. <laughs> I'm really glad that you brought that up. Um, yeah, that's, that's really useful. Um, and through your experience and I guess the position that you've worked your way into in the industry internationally but maybe um, specifically in Asia because that's where both of us are based. Um, I know you have very good connections um, everywhere. Uh, but if we're to talk about designers and if, if they were to ask you, okay, how do I get a story into design anthology or how do I get my project into wallpaper or one of the other amazing magazines that you write for, what would your advice be to them? Where do you, where do you start? <laughs> I'm sure there's a long list. Um, okay, there, there are a few basic questions I ask. Um, I ask, when did the project um, open or when is it about to be launched? None of the magazines are interested in stories that opened in July last year. No one's interested in stories that have been covered in other publications or even say blogs, right? If something has already been exposed, the best magazines are not interested. Um, yeah, this is one of the problems though, because for print magazine, there's a long lead in time. So the issue is you've got to think about, can you hold that information? So. I need information early, and the other bit of information I need is photographs. Imagery is as important, or dare I say, even more important than the words. They have to go hand in hand. So I often get fabulous stories, but the images are just not up to scratch. And often I spend a lot of time working with a designer or a brand showing them examples of the kinds of photographs that wallpaper will want. And they have to know the information, like wallpaper will never, well, very, very rarely use a photograph with people in it. If you look at the website, they don't like overstyled things. They don't want elaborate flower arrangements on the tables. They don't like that styled look. So I know what the editors are looking for and I will tailor that information for them. Mm. I mean, that's really important. Yeah, very. Yeah. And so let's talk a little bit about, um, you just said, and, and obviously I wholeheartedly concur, that, that most magazines and design anthology would be included in that, mm. don't want to publish something that's already been seen everywhere. Yeah. So how do designers get their work seen by a larger audience how what what tips could you give them I mean I can probably think of a couple as you know if they wanted to be published in a couple of key magazines yeah what can they do to make sure that that happens um, in terms of imagery or writing what advice would you give when it comes to that okay my advice would be you need to make a list immediately of the top say five magazines that you really, really want to be published in. You need to organize your information 
so that each one of them maybe has a slightly different angle. And your top, top magazine, you need to go to them first and you need to say, I am coming to you first. Here is all my information. Here are my photographs. I would like to do an exclusive and offer you an exclusive. And that's always interesting for a publisher. Give them first choice. And then once you have allowed you, it's like a negotiation in that sense. You know, the person will say, well, we can, we can put it online. Well, then that's maybe not an exclusive. It might be, depending on the timing of the project. You've got to put that information together very carefully, but always keep some of the information back because you've got five, six, maybe 10 other publishers. So tailor it. Like you know that maybe there's um, a publication that comes out later and it's much more about people. So keep the profile piece for them. But for design anthology, it's, it's about the images, it's about the making of the space. So offer them that. Offer them quotes that will not be seen elsewhere because there is nothing more annoying than seeing the same story in every publication you pick up. It just, you switch off. It's, it becomes like an advert that's ubiquitous. Absolutely. So yeah, I think tailoring it and then, you know, being very clear. You have to be very clear with the editors. When, when is it going to be published? How much? Is it half a page? One and a half pages? Okay, if you're going to do one and a half pages, we can give you something even more special. We can give you this. But I think the most important thing is when you're approaching those editors, you need to, be, you need to have all your information focused and ready to give to them. It, you shouldn't have a sort of scattergun approach, like throw everything out and hope something sticks and you don't send the same pitch to everyone. So like for me as a writer, if I'm writing for different publications, um, I have to take a completely different angle. And if you even look at a story of something like the design of a chair, you can, you can actually get two or three different angles, very unusual angles, interesting content for each publication. So, but I think it's good to be open it's, it's good to approach the editor, and then once you've secured your top, top publication, you need to go to your other publication and say, and be honest, say, so-and-so has an exclusive up till this date at this time, and here is what I can offer you, which they do not have. So everyone needs to feel special, <laughs> yeah. essentially. And, and that's the way. And then, of course, you, you have your press release that you send out. Don't put any of that exclusive material in your press release. And write your press release for the laziest of users. Write it with the quotes you would like to see used and write the information without grammatical errors or spelling mistakes because the rest of the publications will take that and just cut paste, slightly rewrite and put it out. You know how that works. We see that in publications and online um, media all the time, which is fine. But for your top people, you tailor bespoke. Absolutely. I, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I would also perhaps even go one step further and say even with images that not just holding back quotes and holding back information that 
maybe even holding back images. So yes. whoever it is that you're pitching that story to first, yes. you know, maybe they get their first pick at whatever yes. images they want to run and then perhaps there's a second set that they, you spread out across other publications. But, uh, yeah, and I, I think the reason behind this, just to kind of explain to our listeners who, who may not understand how media works, <clears throat> from my perspective as an editor who sells a print magazine that we get money for, it, it's on sale, it's a commercial product, uh, we want to provide value to our readers. And as a consumer of print media myself, and, and you are as well, you, you said it before, you know, no one wants to pick up a magazine and, and flick through it and have seen everything already before. No one wants that. Yeah. Um, and I think now that the media landscape is even more competitive, uh, it's even more important that we provide something of value to our readers. If they're going to part with money when there's so much free content out there online, mm. um, you know, we want them to be able to buy the magazine and know that what's in there is new and unique and exciting and, and inspirational and all of those sorts of things. And substantial. Yes, because absolutely. Because if you've seen it online, which is fine. Look, you know, we go to Milan Salone and everything is immediately online. You know, you see the photographs, you, you hear about the, the, the trends, everything. But actually, you still buy the magazine because that's where you read um, someone who has sat with the designer, asked thoughtful questions, had a conversation, come away, thought about it, checked their facts, dug a little bit deeper, put together a story that actually has something of use. So I, I often think of the online, say Instagram and web content as a sort of teaser, but actually the substance, if you really want to understand something, then you buy the print because that's where they go into the depth. Absolutely. And I think that's another really good point that you've touched on, that relationship between digital and print, that as you said before, if you're offering exclusives to an editor and they can't offer you print, and they're offering you digital. I don't want to say only digital because digital is still important. Um, but if you have your heart set on print, my, what would your advice be in that instance? Sorry, in, in what so way? If, if it did, well, so my, my, my thinking would be if, if we can only, if someone has come to us first and, and they want to publish a story and I can offer them an online story but not a print publication, not a print story, my advice, if they really have their heart set on print, is to get it printed somewhere else. Because from my perspective as an editor, I'm not going to print something that's already been online. Oh, yeah. It has to be, it has to be different. Yeah. And, and, you know, with everything, whether it's online or, but especially in print, you know, there has to be the hook. And for every story that I write, whether it's, you know, online, whatever, I always ask myself one question and that is like so what so what why am i writing the story what is the hook what is that unique reason why someone should read devote 20 minutes of their time to read something there has to be a reason it can't just be otherwise we're just regurgitating press releases you know that's not what i want to do i think what's interesting is going a little bit deeper into a story and finding out something that people in that three minute interviewing someone, you know, at a party at Salone won't get. 
So it's when when you're sitting in an interview and you know one of the designers mentions something else, you know, and you and you say, but oh, what what's that? And then you come full circle, and you find out something more about the you know beautiful product that they're designing. And I think that's your hook. That's what's interesting. Because do we need another chair? Do we need another story about a chair? No, but we need to know about, well, why has mm. that person designed that chair? So, I mean, it's, it's like a, a strange thing. So, like, I think one of my favorite architects, Kengo Kuma. So people write about him all the time. So, you know, often people like, oh, yes, okay, Kengo Kuma, another beautiful story. But then, you know, I think, what's the hook? So more recently, he designed a chicken coop for the artist Bosco Sodi in Mexico at this incredible kind of um, non-profit organization that Bosco runs there. And I was just so totally intrigued by this. Like, why do chickens have a house that by an architect that I would kill to have designed anything for me. And so, you know, that's a story. I was like, I couldn't wait to read that story. And I, I'm reading, and the pictures, the photographs of these chickens looking very happy in their Kengo Kuma designed chicken coop. I bet they you were. Know, what a great story. Now, there's an architect who's designing stadiums and hotels and beautiful things but actually the most interesting thing for me is that he could adjust his thinking his architectural expertise to something for an artist who thinks very differently about materials that's the story that's very interesting and actually that's made me think of another question for you Catherine because um you have interviewed Kengo Kuma a number of times um, and you also have a very good relationship with Andre Fu. You actually authored his most recent book, which is out now, <laughs> from Thames and Hudson. Um, I'm wondering, you know, as a writer, when you have the opportunity and the privilege to interview someone as interesting and as talented as either of those two and, and probably many others, how do you approach each of those interviews? How do you find something new each time you talk to these people. Is that possible or is it really more about developing the rapport and the relationship and, and just allowing them to open up a little bit more? Hmm. That's a really, really interesting question. I think there are a couple of answers to that. Like, so I spent a lot of time talking to Andre um, even before we started working on the book. <clears throat> and then two years ago, I went on a really, really good holiday. I went away for a month to Africa, and I, had, I came back totally refreshed. And within days of being back, I had an interview with Andre about one of his projects. And I sat down to prepare the questions for it, and I realized that I was looking at his work from a different perspective. I was asking different questions. And when I interviewed him, I mean, we were laughing because I, was, I asked him questions. And I, I found out something about him that I really didn't know, you know, because I was thinking differently. And my brain was clear. And I was approaching it from a refreshed perspective, you know. And 
I discovered, you know, that I was saying to him, so if you weren't an architect, interior designer, product designer, what would you be doing? And we eventually, you know, he said to me, I'd, I'd love to design gardens. I was like, gardens, really? Landscaping? And then it all made sense. When I look at some of his designs and that inside-outside approach, the way he brings plants into a space, some of the shapes of the sculptures that he uses, suddenly I started to understand that element of him. So it's about doing your work before an interview, thinking about different questions, but it's also about taking the time to clear your brain. The other thing I, I would say is you have to read. You have to read writers that you really admire. So I really do put time aside to read good publications. Um, I have an in-house editor who is, reads nonstop. And if she finds anything she thinks is interesting or really different and she knows what I like, she sends it to me. So I set aside time every day to read. And I think there's nothing better than reading people that you admire and asking yourself, okay, how, how do I make my writing better? Always. And then I think also that spending time. Um, Kengo Kuma has always been incredibly generous with his time. And I was lucky enough to meet him when I was living in Japan and before he became quite so well known as he is now. But it's that experience of building a rapport with a designer and not just when you want something. I think like, some of the designers during this uh, lockdown and COVID-19 period, the pandemic, I've stayed in touch with a lot of designers who are still not able to design, particularly in Italy. You know, I'm checking in on them, how are they doing? You know, are they frustrated with things? But everything, but maybe just on a personal level. And I think it's about building those relationships with them so that they trust you. They, they will tell you things that maybe they won't tell anyone else. So I think all of those factors, I think, help. Mm. Keep, it, keep it fresh and keep it new. Mm. That's really interesting. Um, so I think maybe going back to, I guess, directing this conversation towards designers and perhaps in, in my mind I'm thinking more of emerging designers because those that are um, a little more established, a little more well-known, probably have a budget for either an external PR company that they have on retainer um, or perhaps someone like you that they might want to work with. Uh, for those types of designers who, you know, I don't like stereotypes, but um, often creatives aren't trained in business. And, and I would imagine for anyone, it's very difficult to write about their own work. So you, you talked earlier about, you know, getting information together and press releases and all of that sort of you know, those things that people could do to prepare to send out a project yeah. to either someone like you or to an editor. Do you have any advice for people like that? How, how can they gather that kind of information without, I guess, perhaps necessarily writing a press release themselves? But are there any kind of tips or recommendations that you might have for, for someone that's just starting out and... You know, and also we're, yeah. we're in Asia, you know, English is 
a second language to most people in this part of the world. So yeah. getting something that's coherent in, a, in another language is also quite a big ask. Yeah. What would you recommend? <clears throat> well, I think the first thing you've got to realise is who you're pitching to. Yeah. So if you're pitching to someone like me or director and editor, you have to remember a couple of things. That person has limited attention, probably lots of deadlines, and there's a lot of um, other designers and things competing for their attention, right? So you have to focus and you have to get that information across without overwhelming them. There's nothing worse than opening an email where the person A has spelt your name incorrectly or writes Dear Shaw or Dear um, Media Partner. I'm not their partner. <laughs> you know, that sort of thing is off-putting right from the very beginning. And if I see, you know, a thousand words in a pitch, I was like, I shut down. I don't have time to read a thousand words on that. And I'm sure most editors don't either. So that, and also don't be overly friendly, not like hiya, you know, be professional. Just all you are doing is you are reaching out to that person or that organization, and you need to know your information, like I said before, so you tailor what you're doing. So <clears throat> I think you say hello, you introduce yourself as the designer, a designer or the founder, Never downplay what you've done or what you're achieving, even in a joking way, trying to be humble, which is very much a sort of Asian perspective. Well, I've started this little company. No, you just, no one's interested in that. Just tell them what you have done. You want to get across who you are, what you have, and how it relates to them, okay? You have to avoid being long-winded or boring. You have to ask, in there what the deadlines are maybe also ask um, an editor if you're writing straight to the magazine or um, ask them what their editorial schedule is coming up like do they have a focus like what's their summer issue all about um, if you are asking them in advance of sending them information then i think keep it clear keep it simple you have to imagine that someone like me is reading their email in the back of a taxi late at night in the dark and I have 20 seconds, really. That's the way I sort of envisage it. None of my pitches to an editor are long-winded. I'll send out something, I'll say, this is something, this is interesting because, say why it's interesting, and then say what you can give them. So you can give them these photographs, you can give them a video, like a video of the making of something. That's fascinating for someone who maybe wants to do a, an online story and follow up with, with print. So make sure you know what your materials are. And I think if you want to send more information, you send it as an attachment. You say, here, here are links to the images, here is, um, you know, a link to a more detailed uh, conversation that I had with so-and-so or whatever. So you provide the information, but you have to keep that initial approach focused and say what you have and why you think it would be interesting for them. So it's respectful. You're showing that you know, okay, so someone approaches me and they say, you know, I know that you're interested in the environment. 
and I read your story that you wrote on XYZ. And I would like to show you what I've been working on. I am a startup, but I do believe that this brings something new to the market because it's the first time anyone has actually worked with these particular embroidery artists in Mexico. So instantly I'm like, oh, that's interesting. First time, those are nice words. Mexico, that's different, you know, and it's young and it's a startup. Okay, that could be interesting. Then I might open the attachment. But you must also say when you can deliver. A lot of people will approach me and say, there's this great story and we can give you information in six months time. And I'm like, six months is another world away. Don't give me that now or a heads up because you've got hundreds of emails coming in with that information. S say when you can give it. And, and really pull the information together, not the whole story. Yeah. That is fantastic advice, and I could not agree more. We, uh, we have a platform on our website where people can submit projects, and, you know, some of them are far longer than a 1,000 words, and, yeah, I just look at that and they've lost me already. So, and then there's no link to kind of look at images easily. I've got to download something and... Yeah. Um, you know, I, I hate this whole culture of busyness that we have surrounded ourselves with, but it is a fact, um, perhaps more so post-COVID-19. But you're right, I think respectful is a really great word. Um, it's not so much that I'm too busy or that you're too busy to read these because pictures. Because we want it. We do. I mean, that's why we have a platform yeah. there that allows people to do that. But it is, I think, a respectful thing to do, to be aware of time constraints and that reading a whole story is not necessarily what we need yeah. <laughs> right up front. You need to just be very focused. The way, the way when I talk to um, people about this, I say to them, it's a very good example, like when you think of a design fair. So, for example, uh, think about Design Shanghai. So we go to Design Shanghai and there are 3,000 products out there, you know, 200, maybe more um, exhibitors. And I've got to walk through and find 25 things that I like and that I'm going to write mm -hmm. about. So how do I do that? Now, this is how a writer or an editor filters information. And it has parallels for outside of the market. I walk through, I have a quick skim of everything. I make a note of the things that might have just caught my eye. I then go back and I talk to those people. If those people are, are friendly, but not overly friendly, because not that is another mistake like I think younger emerging designers make as they are just overly friendly. It's not about becoming my new best friend. It's just about having a rapport, providing mm -hmm. the information. The designers who have maybe one sheet of information with the key details, dimensions, materials, the key details. Is it eco-friendly? You know, has it been used anywhere else? That sort of information. Um, the photographs on a USB. Or, you know, I would walk around Design Shanghai and some of the younger Chinese designers, I would stand there and say, right, we're on, you know, we're on WeChat, send me the photographs now. Can I photograph it myself? You know, I talk to them, the ones who just make my job easy because I've already decided I like them. 
They just say, here's the USB, and I'm just going to send this to you all right now. And I say, right. Also, make sure your photographs have got the, um, the credit for the photographer. Make sure it's in the correct resolution for online as well as print. You know, I just want to hug those people. They can be my new best friend because I can walk away and I've saved hours, hours of going back saying, no, 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 could you please give it to me in this format, you know? And, and so the people who have, even the people that I really, really, really like and they don't have the photographs and I try so hard and I'm following up and they don't know what they're doing and they send a rubbish photograph and I'm like, oh my God, you've lost this opportunity. You know, and I want to get the story out like either that day or the next day. So they've lost out they, and that's it. So having your information ready in digital as well as physical format and in anyone who does something a bit interesting like decorate your USB, you know, or if you're handing out information, make sure it, it's not just a printed page of words. Put something on there, like your photograph or a photograph of the product. I think that is fantastic advice. And I'm very uh, relieved to hear that we work in very much the same way when we're wandering around an exhibition hall. I don't think anyone can understand how overwhelming it is as an editor or a writer. I mean, I do my work beforehand. I talk, I talk to people. I already have an idea, you know, of who might be interesting. But for me, what makes going to the fair really interesting is that serendipitous moment where you walk past and some 17-year-old has decided to design a new stool. And you look at it and you think, oh my God, that is so beautiful. And I love that idea. And it might be really raw and it might be very rough. And But you can see, like, you know, years ago, walking around Design Shanghai, you know, I spotted Frank Chu miles away. I almost ran to him. I do work very much the same way at these exhibitions. And I, I love how you've talked about serendipity. And I think, again, because, you know, we're obviously all still missing Milan this year. Yeah. I think it, when I'm, when I'm asked about why I travel so much and whether it's important um, and do I really need to be there physically... My response is that generally with shows like this and exhibitions and meeting people, serendipity, that is a huge part of what happens in these, these times that I'm away from my desk. And whether it's at Design Shanghai or whether it's Milan Design Week or whether it's you know, a new emerging architectural exhibition, seminar, conference in Jakarta, it's these serendipitous moments that I can guarantee you will never, have never, don't happen over email, digitally. You know, I, I know that there are virtual design festivals happening. We're not going to talk names. I think in some ways I really admire and respect what that is aiming to do. But I don't think that it will ever and should ever be possible to replace a physical design exhibition, conference, seminar with something online because those moments of serendipity 
You can't replace that online. And I think I completely agree with you because it's often conversations that you'll have with someone and, you know, like you, I will arrive at a fair or an exhibition prepped and, you know, I've done my research and I kind of know who I want to talk to. But you're right, it's often someone emerging and new and, you know, unknown that you will just stumble across. Well, talking about stumbling, I'll tell you about one of my funny serendipitous moments um a couple of years ago at during salone um wallpaper puts on this amazing party and it's there were so many people you could not get to the bar and i was like edging my way towards the bar trying desperately to get a, a cocktail and um there was a guy in front of me and he stepped back and he stood on my foot and he almost crushed my foot. And he was so apologetic. And I was like, oh, no, don't worry, it's fine. He was like, oh, let me get you the drink. And we stood and we had a laugh and, you know, I limped back to the people I was with. And and then it was actually um, Ross and Daryl um, who actually, you know, are the designers behind Design Shanghai. And we were talking away, and Ross um, turned around and said, oh, let me introduce you to Lee Broom, the lighting designer. And Lee was the person who'd crushed my foot just half an hour before. So we had this such a good laugh, and it was that was the salone that Lee had decided, instead of doing an exhibition, he was going to hire a truck, design his exhibition inside the back of the truck, and then drive around, I'm so clever, park outside the wallpaper party and open the back of his truck and just anyone coming in or out saw Lee Broom's fabulous lighting. You know, now everyone was trying to talk to Lee, but because Lee had just squashed my foot and because Ross had very kindly introduced us, we had this really funny, funny connection, you know, and in later years when I've seen I was like remember <laughs> remember my foot <laughs> you know but it's 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 just that sort of very funny thing you know you meet someone you know they introduce you to a good friend of theirs because they know what you're interested in and I think those sorts of moments you don't yeah you're not going to get that on a zoom conference no I completely agree and there's you know been for me a number of examples like that and actually one of them would be uh, a young emerging practice in Jakarta, actually. So Studio Getty, he's American, she's Indonesian, educated in Melbourne. Uh, we met through friends. They had designed a 115th coffee shop and I would just kind of see them every time I was in Jakarta and I really liked them as people. Um, they were very humble and quiet about their work and it was only that I found out through a mutual friend that they had a house project and we ended up publishing that in our Indonesian edition. Um, but they launched a furniture collection and a product collection at the Stockholm Furniture Fair earlier this year. So long ago, it feels like it can't have been 2020 because we haven't had any design shows since then. Um, but we're now stocking some of their products on our website and that yeah. was purely serendipity. I'd never heard of them. I probably would never have heard of them. They don't have a website. Um, but it was just that personal introduction at a coffee shop. And, yeah. you know, thankfully I didn't get my foot trampled on, but <laughs> it was just you a really lovely... You have to suffer for your yeah, craft. we do. We do indeed. 
Do you have any final thoughts and, and recommendations or tips for those emerging designers that we've been kind of talking to um, for just dealing with the media? What would you recommend? Well, I would say um, when you've made your, your pitch to an editor or a writer and sometimes they don't come back to you, don't take it personally. Often people are so busy and often you can miss an email um, so follow up, always follow up, because that shows also you're, you're interested and you are really keen. So I think when you're following up by email, don't call and don't WhatsApp someone you don't know. Please, God, don't start WhatsApping like you're the best friend, because that's just annoying. You, the best way to pitch is by email. Then that person can read it at their leisure. So think very carefully about the heading. You must make it short and sweet. You don't have to put your entire email in the heading. Say it's a pitch. When I pitch something, I write pitch in capital letters in the heading so that my editors know. I'm not just calling saying, how are you doing? Are you okay? Um, they know this could be something interesting. Always say, like for example, if it's, um, South Korea's first um, floating stadium. Okay, put that in, in the header. You don't have to say anything else. Then when you're writing, write it like it's a short conversation. Don't try and use words that you think you should be using. Keep it short and sweet, but avoid generic words. Never use the word exquisite. Please never use that word because very few things are exquisite. <laughs> Susie, you're going to die laughing. <laughs> Sorry. But it's, it's really true. funny and it's so true. <laughs> there, are, there are certain words that really annoy people and exquisite is one of them. Just avoid... I can think of a few others, but yeah, <laughs> that's a good avoid start. Avoid all those superlatives, you know, that overflowery language. This is, this is business. You've got something, I mean, you can be enthusiastic. That's great. But don't, oh, the other thing is, please don't use capitals. Do not use capitals. And resist the urge to use exclamation marks after every sentence, because that is really annoying. And especially if you've got exquisite exclamation mark and caps, even if I love the story, I'm not going to write about it because it'll just annoy me. Yeah, often in my head, I'm like, well, let me be the judge of that. <laughs> I'll tell you if yeah, it's exactly. exquisite. <laughs> Sorry, please continue. Be polite and say thank you. And this is actually another piece of advice, I would say. When you have given an editor or a, a writer in particular a story, and they have taken it and they have put their work to it and they have published it. Write to them and say thank you. When you are on your, your, you know, posting that picture on your Instagram, you thank the publication and thank the writer. Tag them and say thank you. It's just polite. And also develop that rapport with them say to them like you know I don't have time to go and have coffee with everyone but you could say 
let me know if you're in Central or Shengwan and you'd like a cup of coffee. I'd love to meet you, but you tell me when would be convenient. Leave it. If that writer is interested and wants to visit your studio, great. Then maybe they want to do that. But don't keep asking someone for coffee when they've said no 12 times because they're busy. And it's about professionalism, giving them everything they need in a polite way. And then over time, that relationship can develop. And you know, nothing makes me happier than finding, say, a young designer or someone who's put their whole heart into something. You write about it and you know, it's going to do well anyway, but you've helped because other people read that and think, well, that's interesting, and contact them. So if that happens, write to the writer and say, you know what, your story went up on Tuesday, and on Wednesday morning, we got 17 requests for information to supply our chair, bed linen, whatever, in their hotel. Thank you. That's it. Be polite, your mother knows best, right? <laughs> that's what it's all about. I, I think that's wonderful advice. Thank you, Catherine. Do you have any other parting words for us today? Just don't be embarrassed about sending your information out there. If you can't afford um, to go to a big, expensive PR marketing company, um, you've already had something special to be able to make something and design something. And never forget that editors and writers are always looking for information. We're always looking for something new or interesting. So if you write to the same writer and editor five times with different, different things and they don't pick up on that, just keep doing it because because at some point, you might have something relevant. But in those five things that have been rejected, go back, read the magazine, go onto the, the writer's Instagram page or website or whatever, follow their, if they're doing Zoom conferences, follow them, understand what they are worried about or interested in. Do your research and then tailor your information and when they do pick it up and keep giving them the information and when they pick it up, be grateful. That is wonderful advice. Thank you so much, Catherine Shaw. I uh, hope that's been really helpful for many of our listeners. Thanks for being here today. Thank you. Thank you.